Hi, I'm Lisa Levin. And I'm Julie Sapper. We're the co-founders of Run Farther and Faster and co-hosts of the podcast under the same name. While we started this podcast as a Boston Marathon-focused podcast based on the experiences from our combined 31 finishes, we cover all things running-related. We've coached runners of all levels and goal distances all over the world for over 13 years. Thanks so much for joining us. We are so excited you're here. Hi, Julie. Hi, Lisa. How's it going? Everything is going well. How about you? Good. We, we uh, hope everyone liked our intro. We're going to roll that out now moving forward based on some feedback. So hopefully that resonated with everyone listening. And now, now we have an intro now after what, this is our 146th episode. We- yeah. It only took us like three years, over three years to, to do that. Yeah. But like great feedback from listeners that that's really helpful. So we welcome that. So if you've got feedback, please reach out to us and maybe you too will make a difference in the future of the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Absolutely. And more importantly, when giving that feedback, if you could leave it in a review, that would be so helpful. I will repeat this again. It helps our podcast grow. Thank you. So Lisa, um, first of all, before we get to some of what has been happening with our runners, I just want to give you a big round of applause. You had a terrific half marathon recently that you ran, and we mentioned a little bit about your racing leading up to Boston. And I just wanted to give you a few minutes to talk about what you did and, and how it went for you. Yeah, this wasn't really initially on my schedule and it's not, um, you know, is this the race that I did was the Annapolis Festival running festival half marathon. It was an inaugural inaugural race put on by a local um, race company, Corrigan Sports, which does um, some of our other big races here, which is always, the races are always really well organized. It's always, it's a really reputable uh, race organization. So um, they announced earlier this year, they'd have this Annapolis running festival. And I hadn't really looked at it at first and hadn't really thought of it as part of a Boston build. I usually do um, cherry blossom um, I usually do the RCA 10 miler, which I did several weeks ago, which to me was a, a disappointing race. And, you know, I'll talk a little bit about that, but I know we've talked about it before. And then I did a 5k and had a good 5k. Um, and then I typically do cherry blossom and that's what I do leading up to Boston. Um, and, uh, Paul had signed up for the half marathon for this and was like, come do it, come do it. And at first I said, no, I'm not interested in adding a, another race to my schedule kind of in between, um, RCA and, and cherry blossom. Uh, but then we had a couple of our runners doing it and I thought it would be a nice, fun opportunity to see them and get in on, you know, get to see what this inaugural race was like and check it out. Um, so that we could, uh, recommend it to, or not to our runners in the future. So I said, all right, you know what? Um, I saw that the weather was going to be nice and figured why not? It'll be a, a, you know, it'll be a fun opportunity to see some of our runners and check out this new course. So, um, uh, and, and it turned out to be a great race, very well organized, highly recommend, uh, you know, for the, for next year as, it, as hopefully it will continue. It had a half marathon, a 10 K and a five K the course was for those who are familiar with our area and do Annapolis 10 miler, uh, similar start to Annapolis 10 miler. Um, it, it does not go into, the, it goes over the same bridge that we go over for Annapolis 10 miler, but then instead of going to the right into the neighborhoods, it goes to the left and eventually ends up at the BNA trail, which is a paved, um, trail in our, in, in the Baltimore area and goes out and back on the trail. Um, so it is, um, a hilly race. I would, I would say it's not, not terribly hilly, but it, it, it it's pretty rolling hills, um, 
and uh, that that day that we did the race, it was um, it was windy. So we had some winds that I think we felt the most coming back over the bridge on the way back. We were all talking about how we're kind of getting blown sideways on the bridge, but um, really well organized race, good participation numbers. Um, and uh, the one piece of advice I would give to anybody who's doing a race, either the Annapolis 10 mile or, or this race or any race that leaves from the um, Navy Memorial Stadium in Annapolis is get there early. Always, every time the traffic backs up, getting into that parking lot, and um, no exception this time. We know that, and we got there early, so we were fine. But we were getting lined up to start the race, and there was still miles long traffic trying to get into the parking lot. So anyone who does those races in that stadium, it's just a one road entrance to the stadium, so it tends to get um, backed up. But the race itself was great, and I had a really good race. I felt really strong. Um, I think I finished maybe a little faster than my last half marathon that I had done in, in San Diego this summer on, um, on an easier course. This was a harder course, I thought. And what I felt best about was I just paced it really well. I think this is one of my most evenly paced races, um, the last and helped by the, the wind because the, we did have a little bit of a tailwind in um, some of the last miles. So I think those last I think four of the last six miles were some of my fastest coming back after the turnaround. And I just felt really, really strong. Um, I got to practice my nutrition strategy for Boston, uh, which was a Morton right before the start. So 10 minutes before the start, I took a Morton. And then every half hour, I took a Morton. And I just felt like even steady energy. I mean, I've been doing this now. I did this at Boston last year, so I know it works. But it's always just amazing to me that it really, you know, it really, even especially taking, I don't think I took one before Boston last year. I started taking Mortons before races after boss like in the last year and it does it's made a difference for me i don't know if it's just mentally but i just feel like my energy is a lot steadier because i think i start out topping off my glycogen stores and then if i'm constantly replenishing them i don't feel like they drop so i've i've crossed the finish line i finished in 133.51 i think i was the fourth woman first in my age group and um felt like i told paul when i finished i said i feel like i could do another half like i felt like i could keep going so i felt really good and it really was the confidence boost that I needed. I, um, you know, had mentioned earlier that I did the RCA 10 mile and just didn't feel like I could get my legs turning over. It did not feel like, uh, it didn't feel like a strong race to me. And I did that race in 112, which was for me a, a slow 10 mile or time. I can usually finish in 110 or under. Um, and I looked at my, I made a point of looking at my watch at the 10 mile mark at Annapolis. And I was through the 10 mile mark right at, right at 110. So it made me feel a little bit better. It was, and it was a similarly hilly course, you know, up to mile 10, even beyond mile 10, but it was similarly, maybe not as hilly as RCA, but it was similarly hilly. Um, and uh, so, so that made me feel like, you know, maybe RCA was a little bit of an anomaly, something I think um, we've talked about this before, but I had done a hard cycling race a couple of days before RCA that probably was not a good idea. So I did not do that again for the half marathon. So learning experiences, um, but a good, a good confidence boost heading into Boston. So highly recommend the race. The only complaint I would have is that the post-race food was a raw bar. <laughs> so you finished and it was like oh, oysters and clams at like, I think like 8.30 and and, and there was nothing else. There were like no bananas or bagels or anything like that. I'm like, where is the regular food? And it was raw bar. And I mean, I, you know, there's one thing when there's pizza at the finish or beer and I'm like, Ooh, who could eat pizza or beer at eight 30 in the morning, but really like Ravar, I get the theme is Annapolis and, you know, we're on the water. Uh, and that's, you know, Maryland kind of some Maryland, uh, specific food, but not after a 10, not after a half marathon, please. So I can think of like so many puns, like crabby runners, 
hate doing clamshells. Like I can just think of <laughs> so many. Yeah. So needless really to say, gross. I left hungry. I did leave hungry, but, but that's okay. Luckily I had some food in the car. Um, but, uh, you know, that was just, that was not advertising to me was to eat raw, raw bar food. So a couple things, first of all, you ran a great race. I love what I love about your race report. Isn't necessarily your fantastic finish time, but how you executed the race and how you didn't allow your previous race to get in your head. You went out there, you know, you could have easily said, well, RCA was a really hilly course. I don't know how I'm going to do on this course. And it's also when it was windy and, you know, you could have let that get to your head, but you didn't, you, you said, I'm going to go for this. I know what I'm capable of. And, and that's really important. I think is your mental game. And, and clearly you were able to execute that because you maintain a positive, strong mental game. Second thing I like is that you practice your nutrition. Um, you, you would have anyway, but what I really like is that you practice it practiced it as if it were your marathon. And that's so important. That's something maybe you or I wouldn't have done um, several years ago. We know to do that now. And then the third thing, what I really like is that this gives me the opportunity to predict your Boston marathon time. Um, (laughs) Okay. I like when you do it because you've always been right, but (laughs) pressure. Okay. So I, I I'll just, I'll tell it to you privately what my prediction is. That's all. Just, just remind me. Let's put it out there. Put it out there on the podcast. Go ahead. Okay. 314. Oh, wow. That's really nice of you. Thank you. Okay. And the reason I'm making that prediction is because of course, generally speaking, when you run a half, the, the theory is you double the time, then you add 10 minutes for a marathon. However, this half was just as hilly as Boston. So it was a difficult course. It wasn't an easy course. It wasn't a flat course. And the fact that you mentioned that you ran San Diego on a flat course in the same time in the summer. So, and I know you run better generally in warmer temperatures than cooler temperatures. So I'm cutting off a couple minutes. Okay. Hypothetically, let's say you ran, you know, 131. Then if you double that, I I just, I think it's generous to to even 314. I think you could be even faster, no pressure, but that's my, I'm I'm absorbing that now. It's really like every time you tell me, like somehow it goes into my subconscious. I'm absorbing because I'd be very, very, very happy with that time. So I'm absorbing it. It all hinges on the weather. Of course, this this prediction is completely based on, on, on a perfect weather, optimal weather, of course. Okay. it, it, there, there isn't an analysis to this. I'm not just throwing, throwing no, out there. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm thinking this through. So anyway, that's what okay. I think. And we'll see if I'm right. And I'm looking forward to cheering you on. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're getting close. So we're, we're getting, we're getting close. Uh, super close. And we, before we get to that, let's, um, I know we just talked about my race, but we just had uh, like, I'd say half of our runners race last weekend. We had so many runners racing last weekend. Um, lots of different races, um, going on. We had a race here in the local area, DC rock and roll. We had the New York city half. Um, we had some other, um, you know, smaller half marathons, uh, some, some runners doing five K's. Um, we had it runners running internationally. So we had a huge roster of races. So, um, maybe we can hit some of those, those highlights. What did we count? Did we have 20? I think we had 23 total runners racing last weekend. That was yeah. a lot of race prep that we prepared and it was for all different types of races in all different climates. So we thought we would just um, talk about two, each of us, we're going to pick one runner to talk about, because if we talked about all 23, we'd be here all day. And it, <laughs> and the reason we selected each of us selected the runner is because there are some lessons in, in, 
their training, not, not because we're favoring any runners over the other. We pride our runner. We're so proud of our runners for their accomplishments. And this is just, we wanted to highlight these two because of the training. So I'll go first. Um, one of our runners, Hussein ran, um, a 20 minute PR at the, um, tobacco road marathon. Hussein is a 45 year old mass, obviously master's runner. He has four kids. He travels for work. In fact, he was traveling, uh, the week up to the marathon. He was in Abu Dhabi in Egypt for work and arrived home like five days before the tobacco road marathon. Don't do this at home kids. He couldn't help it. It was his travel schedule, but he had a 20 minute PR because he did something that is so important. And that is he slowed down his easy runs. That is truly what he did. When we started working together in September, he was a seasoned marathoner, but he had taken five years off from marathoning and was barely running. He was doing a lot more CrossFit. He was running about 10 miles total per week. So we started out walk run with two to three mile runs tops and a long run of like four miles. And then we slowly, but surely incrementally increased his mileage, decreased the walking, increased the running. And I'd say by like mid-October, he was running without walk breaks and he did a tune-up race about six weeks ago and he really nailed it. He ran a 137 and that's what we use to adjust his paces and provide some race predictors and some new race paces. But he ran time trials through his training. I gave him some suggested paces and he really made sure no matter what those suggested paces were, he ran his easy runs super easy. So just to give an example, uh, his race pace was around 745 to eight range. And his long run, easy run paces were anywhere between about 9.30 to 10.30. And early in his training, it was between 10 and 11. And at first it was weird for him, but he got used to it. And he really understood the value because he saw firsthand how well he was recovering from his runs. So I wanted to share that. He did a great job, but the reason I wanted to share it on here was I just wanted to give some examples of pacing and why it's so important to run easy runs easy. We have so many runners here who run around Hussein's paces, maybe a little slower that might find themselves running their easy runs faster than what I just mentioned. Really think about slowing your role. We talk about this all the time on this podcast, but this is a concrete example of how this works and why it's so important. That's great. And he is very impressive. It's very hard for me to pick two of my runners, but um, I, I think I'm going to highlight two in particular who have been working towards a really big goal in their heads um, and, and, and hit it. And um, the first is uh, Renee Bars. And Renee came to us uh, late last year. Um, she is an accomplished runner. She's run a lot of races. Um, she, uh, you know, felt like she was in a, in a plateau. Um, she, uh, you know, hadn't seen any progression in her time since 2018. Um, she had run New York City half, uh, New York City Marathon um, in the heat, the hot, the hot race. She had run a lot of half marathons. Her half marathon PR was a 158, but she was running recently in the 210 to 215 halves, and she just couldn't um, make any progress. She said she felt like she was in a plateau. Now, P.S. Renee has, um, she's 47 years old. She's, our, you know, in our age range. She has six kids who range in age, I think from 11 to college age. Um, super, you know, super busy. Um, she, she's got a lot going on. She really, um, you know, committed to her training. 
Um, when we had to be flexible, we were flexible. Uh, she would always, um, you know, do her do her runs and say like, I don't know how you think I'm going to hit these paces. Um, we had her do she had some earlier tune up races where we knew what her progress is like. But, you know, a lot a lot of times our runners look at us like we're crazy when we say we think you can hold this pace in a half marathon based on what we've seen in your training and particularly your earlier races. And um, I, I was pretty confident that she could go a PR under under 158. So I said we're gonna we're gonna go for this. And she kept saying. I don't, you know, I don't think I could do this. I don't know why I, don't, I can't imagine holding that pace. And I said, you're, you're ready for this. And she um, ran her half marathon. She finished in 157 and she, um, her family was on the course. Her son was on the course. Her son ran the last part with her. And, um, you know, she said after, which really stuck with me, she said, I believed I could do it because you had the confidence in me. And I think as coaches, that's a lot of what we do is that when we have confidence in our runners, um, that gives them the confidence in themselves to kind of put themselves out there. So uh, for her to hit that PR and get, she said, she feels like now she's out of that plateau and she's actually making the progress. And I think a lot of it was really just, um, you know, we, we've dialed in some, some workouts, but we've dialed in nutrition um, and confidence. So much of it is the confidence and consistency. She's again, super consistent, even though she's got a really busy schedule and we've had to juggle some things around and, um, you know, she has family vacations where she's not able to run as much. She um, just so committed and so positive. And I love that she's such a great uh, role model to her family. And I love that her son got to run the last part of it with her and push that, push her through to that, to that PR. That's awesome. I love that story and congrats Renee. And wow, I really marvel at uh, so many of our runners have a lot of kids and I just really marvel at how they're able to get out the door and get their runs get their runs in, in spite of their busy schedules. So it's really amazing. So yeah, we could talk about this forever, but I think in a nutshell, coaching is so rewarding, but Lisa, I was on such a high last weekend, just seeing how well our runners were doing. It's just felt like a really long winter and being able to see the fruits of so much labor all in the same weekend was really exciting for both of us. And it was just a great day for us as coaches to see that. It was. And, and we were talking about this before that we had a lot of PRs and goals met last weekend. Like it just felt like a great, like, you know, what's one of those weekends where you're just like hitting out of the park, hitting out of the park, hitting out of the park. And even our runners who didn't PR per se hit their goals, which might've been different. We had runners that were running races to practice their strategy for their goal race. We had runners who were running with a family member to try to help them PR. We had runners, you know, we had runners who had different goals in their races. They weren't all to get a PR or to BQ or to hit a certain standard. They all had different, different goals. And even, you know, the ones that didn't have time-related goals had other goals and they, they really hit them out of the park. So I think that was, it just, it was a really good, exciting weekend to get us psyched up for, for what's coming, which is, um, you know, some, some bigger goal races. And for us, we've got, we've got Boston and um, we have a big roster of runners running Boston this year. Not a surprise. We often have a lot of runners running Boston and um, we have 22 runners, I believe this year, plus additional run farther and faster alumni who are going to be in the area and be there running. Um, but we have 22 runners headed to Boston this year. Yeah. They're awesome. from all over the country. So I'm excited to re reunite with many of them and meet some of them in person for the first time. And to prepare those runners for Boston, we had an awesome Zoom on Wednesday night. We had past podcast guest, Dr. Justin Ross did an interactive session just for our runners. And it was so good. He was amazing. And I think he really helped so many people hone their mental game as they head into race day, whether it's Boston or another race. He talked a lot about what you just referenced, Lisa, in terms of 
goals and setting process goals, outcome goals, understanding that we when when we think of ourselves as runners, it's so much more than our times. That sounds so cliche, but when a professional spends an hour working with you and interacting with you and helping you kind of figure out what is important to me, why do I do this? What is my why? That stuff's really important and it all goes into the training. And it's important to take time to really sit down and think about those things, especially before race day. So for folks who are preparing for Boston, take some time over the next few weeks and don't just think about your race strategy in terms of what your body is going to do, but think about your why and think about your strategy and where your mind goes and what's going, how are you preparing for race day? How are you preparing for certain hiccups that will inevitably occur. And what are you doing right now to prepare yourself for that? And then also think about the value. Why are you doing this? And, and as you cross the finish line, no matter what happens and Justin referenced this a few episodes ago, and we can bring it up again, celebrate it because regardless of what, what happens during the race, you finish the freaking Boston marathon. And that is an accomplishment and nothing is sadder than crossing the happiest place on earth, the Boston marathon finish line and feeling upset and mad at yourself or disappointed. We, we don't want that to happen. So kind of think about when you're going into this, your why, which may include a PR, but it, it should also include many other reasons because there are so many reasons that we do this sport. And it's certainly not just for time. Otherwise we'd be so miserable. There's so many reasons. Yeah. His, his session was I mean, really um, just something that made a huge difference for a lot of us. And I know we've been getting comments and feedback all week from our runners saying that was really, um, really impactful. And they're signing up for his training, which we can get on training peaks or on final surge. And I will just leave, leave us this just part of the discussion with something that I took away from him that I actually wrote down really big on my notes. And, and I hold on to is you cannot outperform your self-concept. And that is so important. So if we think that we can't do something or we think something's impossible or we think something's out of our reach, you will not, you, you cannot outperform your self-concept. So you, you need to dream big and think big and, and believe in yourself. And that goes back to what we were talking about, you know, with Renee saying, you believed in me so I could believe in myself. So that's what's important is for our runners to believe in their, themselves, because even if you don't hit that expectation, if you don't have that expectation to begin with, you're certainly not going to be able to hit it. So um, that's something that I really resonated with me is you cannot outperform your self-concept. Yeah. I love that so much. It's, it's really, he had so many good nuggets. So anyway, speaking of Boston, we have some exciting things coming up Boston weekend, and we feel like we're at Liberty to discuss them now because we're 24 days away. I can't believe it. But first off, we mentioned this in our last episode, I believe um, we have our shakeout run and we, we wanted to just give everyone the time and place and it's going to be at Brewer Fountain and which is the same location. We've done it in years past and in the Boston Commons, in the Boston right. Common, yep. 9 a.m. on Sunday, April 16th, we will have some really great giveaways, uh, but we have a limited amount. So we are small business. So come um, on time. And we have only so much space in our luggage to bring these. So, <laughs> yes. so we're gonna we're gonna say they're gonna be for the first, I think we got first about 40 people, runners that are uh, that are running. So we as much as we'd love to give away to like friends and family that come, we're gonna stick with the runners. And if we have extras, then um give them away to, to friends and family. But we hope yeah, come join us. Well, we hope folks will come join us 
regardless of the giveaways, but they're, but it, but it's a good one. This year. It's a good one. And we're really excited to see everyone. So please join us. And even if you feel like you've already done your shakeout run, just come and say, hi, I mean, we get in a picture. Yeah. This, in is picture. this is it. I mean, this is the opportunity we have to really connect with our listeners and our runners. And it's such a busy weekend. And we always talk about this. It's such a highlight for us to see all of you. So please, please come. We would absolutely love to see you. And in addition to the shakeout run, we're going to talk more about this in this episode with our guest who we'll talk about in a moment, but we are going to be leading a panel at the Boston Expo this year. And the time is on Sunday, same day, April 16th at 1 p.m., in the Heinz Convention Center. Um, we are over the moon excited about this opportunity. We are still pinching ourselves that we are actually leading something for the BAA. And we have some very special guests who will be part of the panel, which we will talk about in this episode. Speaking of which, on the episode is the woman who we will be leading the panel with, who we also did the live podcast recording with last year, Cherie Louise Turner. Cherie is the host of the Women's Running Stories podcast, formerly known as Strides Forward. She's an awesome runner herself. She's a five-time Boston Marathon finisher. She's also a resident of Boston, a very knowledgeable runner and cyclist, and just has a real interesting backstory. She's also a master's runner, and she's such an advocate for representation and running, not just representation among all types of runners in general, but also representation in terms of age. Because there are a ton of masters, women runners out there, but they're not necessarily in the forefront of the media for running. Yet, when you go to a race, there are tons of masters, women runners out there. So Cherie's done a really good job of amplifying those voices, as well as many other voices. And her podcast is terrific. We'll link it in the show notes um, again, it's called Women's Running Stories, and we wanted to have Sheree on today just to talk about her her running journey, as well as her experiences, what she's learned from interviewing some phenomenal women. And in fact, this week, Molly Heddle is the guest on her podcast, coming straight off the New York City Half Marathon, and she just had some really great insight. She takes a little bit of a different approach to her marathon training, which she discusses in this episode, and she talks a lot about... Um, plateaus and burnout and kind of figuring out how to get out of that and longevity in the sport. And these are all things that resonate with us. And we really enjoy uh, planning these live podcast panels with Sheree. And we are so honored to be doing this with her this year. And uh, we'll talk more about the details in this episode, but we wanted to announce it first here. And Lisa, before I we go, I just wanted to briefly touch on this. Um, I know you're in the middle of it, but what are your thoughts so far on Kara's book? Oh, um, yeah, I can't stop listening. I, I, so I did, um, after we had a conversation, I had ordered the book, the hard copy book, and I have it next to my bed. And every time night I go to bed, I'd be like, I'm so, I was, I'm just going to bed so late that I've been like, all right, I'll read tomorrow. I'll read tomorrow. And I mentioned that to you and you said, you need to listen on audible because I'm in the car a lot. I have a lot more time to listen than I do read. And you were kind enough to share, share yours with me. So, um, I have been listening to it now and I'm almost done, like uh, probably two thirds of the way done. And, um, I also can't stop listening and can't stop thinking about it. And uh, it's just, um, you know, in, in a way it's, it's interesting. It's um, relatable because we are part of that um, endurance running community. It's not relatable in that we were never, you know, 
uh, professional athletes, but it's relatable, just the, um, the dynamics and the relationships, not only between her and her coach, but between the runners, the running community. Um, so, um, and, and I can actually understand how it all happened. And I know, you know, a lot of people might look at it and say, well, how did you let this happen? Why didn't you speak up? Why did, why did you think this was okay? How did you rationalize this in your head? Um, but a lot of it is, is shocking. And, um, and, and you, but you can see how I, I certainly can understand how, how it, how it, progressed and how it happened and how you can rationalize, um, behavior like that in your head, because again, you're, you're sort of, um, in a position where you really want something really bad and you want to be part of something and, um, speaking up or making waves could jeopardize that. So, um, I think that's sort of a natural human tendency is to rationalize things in our head and, or, um, um, you know, convince ourselves that we're not, you know, we're, we're not seeing it right, but, um, yeah. So it's, I, like I said, I can't really stop. I listen to it every opportunity I get and almost done. And it's, um, it's, it, it makes me sad for the sport, but also hopeful that, um, you know, speaking out like this, uh, and, and, and having it public will hopefully, um, prevent it in the future. And I think, uh, we talked about this with Shuri, but having more role models, um, in the sport that stand up for what's right is what's going to make a difference in the end. And I think that, um, Kara is a you know role model that's standing up and and I think that hopefully we'll be able to change the tides but um I can see how it happened it's uh really disturbing uh, but I can I just you know being familiar enough with competition and you know wanting something bad enough I, I can see certainly um how it how it happened but um it's 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 definitely uh it, it, I think everyone should read the book absolutely and because I agree with everything you're saying. I feel or like listen on audible. Yeah. <laughs> listen on audible. I feel like we could do a whole separate episode and maybe we will on, on her book and Lauren Fleshman's book, both, both of which tackle an issue that isn't discussed enough and pretty much both books, even though different approaches, different stories, their life experiences are different, but so many parallels, so many similarities and the power dynamic, it still exists. Eating disorders still exists. Body dysmorphia still exists. Lack of representation of women coaches still exists. And I think just talking about it more will help. But I loved what what I loved about both of their books is that you you went away with it thinking I need to do more. I want to do more. And I believe that that in addition to sharing their stories on their terms, that is the goal is to inspire readers to to get inspired and, and make the changes necessary to improve our sport. So to that end, because you now have the Audible, we decided we wanted to do a little giveaway. So um, oh, my book that I haven't touched is brand new. I'm not even, <laughs> I mean, I did open it to the floor. That's like all I think I got through. So yes. So we will be giving away Kara's book to a listener. We just ask that the listener leave a review. So if we get a bunch of reviews, then we will randomly select a listener who left a review. If you already left a review, thank you so much. We're sorry you're not eligible, but tell someone else to leave a review and we'll send the book to you and give you credit. But no, we'll, we'll send it to them and they can share it with you. Exactly. Your friend. You can share the book. So yes, we will be giving away Kara's book. Just leave a review by Friday, March 31st send us an email or let us know on socials that you left us a review on wherever you listen to podcasts, preferably Apple podcasts, because that seems to be the most popular place where these re reviews land. And then we will select someone to send a copy of Kara's book. 
So without further delay, here is our conversation with Cherie Louise Turner. Have a great week, Lisa. You too, Julie. Bye. Bye. Cherie Louise Turner, welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. This conversation is long overdue, and we are so thrilled that you were able to join us today. So would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? Yeah, uh, yeah my name is Cherie Louise Turner, and probably my most public persona is that I am the host and producer of Women's Running Stories. It is a podcast where women tell stories about running and um yeah, it's a little bit different. I don't run straight up interviews in my podcast. They're sort of edited story. They follow storyline and um, yeah, people can have a listen to hear kind of how I produce them. Uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say about, about that. Oh, and tell I us love about you. you tell, us about, tell us about you, what you do. And, um, you know, kind of as the, as a, as background, um, we worked with you last year. We, right collaborated on a really um, memorable and spectacular panel that we did, uh, our pod live podcast recording um, with Marilyn Bevins and Megan Christian uh, um, for the 50th year of women officially running Boston. And we had a really uh, great experience and, you know, we've stayed in touch and we've, um, we are collaborating again. We're going to talk about that shortly, but tell us about your, your experience running, your background running and kind of where you are now in your running. Yeah. So I'm a lifelong athlete and I started out as a gymnast. I wasn't particularly great at it when I was a younger person. I did gymnastics till I was about 13, but then I got into bike racing and I was a domestic pro for a few years. And after I stopped doing that, that is when I discovered running. And so this goes back, I mean, a couple of decades at this point. And just over time, I've taken it a bit more seriously and I've done you know, lots of marathons. I got into track racing a few years ago in my fifties. And so I've kind of run the gamut. I've done ultras. I've done stuff on trails. I did the comrades 56 mile ultra marathon on the roads last year, and I'm going back this year. So yeah. And one of the things that keeps me really interested in running and being a competitive athlete and trying to push myself is just how our body changes over time. So that's been a really big focus of my mind personally, as I'm going through perimenopause, which I am still navigating and, and just figuring out what competition means to me as I'm getting older is really interesting because it took a, it took a while to let go of the, like, I'm not going to be the fastest ever in my existence. So what does it mean to be to mean to me to still be competitive? So I've been finding new and exciting ways to keep that really relevant in my own life and keep pushing myself. And it's so exciting to see all of the changes going on in the sport on the women's side and how much more attention the master's side of the sport is getting and how much we're talking about going through menopause and, you know, and also pregnancy and all those other things, which I'm, is not a part of my own lived experience, but, um, but it's just so great to see so much of so much more conversation around women's running and specifics around, you know, women training and getting older and still being super strong and fast. Like I've said this many times to many of my friends that I didn't have a clear sense of what it would be like to get older, especially as an athlete, but I didn't expect this. And it, it's genuinely so exciting. <laughs> 
it's so nice to hear you say it in such a positive way because that sentence, I wasn't sure what it would be like to get older, but I didn't expect this could also be perceived as something <laughs> negative, but in your case, it's positive. And I had the opportunity to witness you last year, finish the Boston marathon, yes, cross the finish line, uh, not even realizing a complete coincidence at almost the exact same time. And you were so joyful and you <laughs> shared, it was so neat to see how much you exceeded your own expectation as a master's runner because of how you trained for Boston last year. So can you talk a little bit about that and, and what that looked like and what the result was? Yeah. So one of my, I guess, bad habits over the years previous was to just slog through workouts to try and follow for a long time. I was following kind of these standard marathon training regimens with loads and loads of miles and, and also trying to like hit splits that I were probably a little out of my reach. And it was just this frustration that I was coming up against. And I, at the, at the time of going into my marathon training, I was listening to a lot, some interviews with Dr. Stacy Sims, who has studied a lot around women's physiology and came out with the book Next Level that talks all about training through perimenopause and postmenopause. And one of her suggestions is that women just don't need to train so many miles because we're so naturally good at endurance. And I really took that to heart. Um, I was coming off of the October, 2021 Boston marathon, but then I went straight to the track and my longest distance I was running was 800 meters. <laughs> and I didn't really start training for Boston until about a month before. And I had gotten in like maybe one long run and a couple of like medium-sized runs, but a lot of speed training and a ton of weight training or not a ton, a couple times a week, which was a lot. And it was pretty serious, like, you know, some fairly heavy weights and those things. Um, and so I came into the Boston marathon last year and my a number one thing is I wanted to have fun in October. I had gotten so frustrated and just was kind of beating myself up along the course the whole time. And I just thought to myself, you know, if I'm going to be doing this, the a number one thing, I'm not going to the Olympics. I'm not turning pro. I need to be having fun. And that was my mandate. And I just did. I had so much fun that day. And I, and I will say I didn't PR and I didn't care. I genuinely hundred percent did not care. I just really wanted to finish feeling strong and good and happy. And you saw the result of that, Julie. <laughs> so I did. I will say I've changed things a little bit this year, but I think experimentation is really important too. So I'll add that. What have you changed this year compared to last year? I'm running a lot more miles, <laughs> but I will say that I'm running more miles very cautiously. And I think, I believe that me going through all the weight training that I did last year, I'm not lifting as much weights going into this Boston marathon. So I'm sort of flipping out the way I see it is changing out the weight lifting for more miles. I am doing still yoga twice a week and, you know, fairly strenuous. So I kind of, that in my mind swaps in as my weight training. Um, but I know that all the weight training I did is helping me put in more miles and feel strong. And I promised myself that if I was gonna start, like if I started feeling achy and slogging through my miles, that I would not do those runs, that I would stop them or I would run them slower or adjust. Um, so I really believe that it was 
that buildup, this has been like a kind of a longer buildup to be able to put in miles and feel really good. And I have to say, I've been really, really surprising myself at how good I have felt. It's, it's a little mind blowing to me. So yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how that, how that plays out this year. I know. Um, Back it up a little, tell us, talk about how long you've been running marathons, like distance running, long distance running, and how many times have you run Boston? So this will be my fifth Boston. And that does include the virtual Boston that we all did. My very first Boston was 2018. And, you know, that's a really good question of when I started running marathons, because I don't remember, honestly, it was well over 10 years ago. Let's just put it that way. I mean, let's probably going back 15 or 20 years. I did my very first marathon. I do remember which marathon it was, and it was Big Sur and which is a gorgeous marathon. But Very I made, hard. <laughs> oh, it's hard. I also made the worst rookie mistake ever is I was so afraid that I wouldn't be able to run the distance that two weeks before I ran a whole marathon by myself, <laughs> which actually went better than the, than the real marathon. Cause by the time I got to the marathon, I was in, like kind of battling, not recovered, not, <laughs> not recovered, recovered, a little bit battling what, you know, like a hamstring issue that had popped up, not surprisingly, you know, so it was a bad idea, but it didn't stop me from coming back. So I guess that's, well, that brings, that brings us to our next question. How has your training, you talked a little bit, how it's trained, it's changed over the past year, you know, from last Boston to this Boston, but how has your training changed from 15 years ago to now where you're, you know, perimenopause, like how has your training change and how has your approach to to distance running changed i would say the the way that it's probably changed the most is i'm a lot more thoughtful about my workouts and i've become a lot more thoughtful about running easy um i used to be very like paying such close attention to my watch and making sure that my easy runs we're not too easy, you know, and just this idea of like, well, I still have to keep up some sort of pace. And I've completely let go of that. Like easy days, a hundred percent have to be so, so, so easy. So I, I think a big part of it is that I, what I've really noticed as I've gotten older is recovery takes a bit longer. And if you, I used to just not be as careful, I think, um, where I would just sort of flog myself a little bit more and I could take it because I was younger. And now I can't do that. And so I've just become a lot more thoughtful and realizing that really paying close attention to your training, like keeping a log and like, I've been so sort of chaotic about my training over time that uh, I've, I've, I don't want to say I've necessarily gotten more serious because I feel like I've always taken it seriously, but I've been a lot more thoughtful and listen, I've learned to listen to my body a lot more. I used to be one of these people who was just like, I'm just going to do the work and I'm going to work harder and I'm going to, you know, do everything harder and, or longer, or just do the most. And that's going to make me better. And I have very much shifted that mentality and it makes a world of difference. (laughs) Can you talk just because I always like to ask people this, we think it helps our, our runners to hear it. Can you give some examples of your paces? Like what are your faster paces on the track versus that recovery pace and that long, slow distance pace that you just mentioned? Um, do you want me to talk about like my paces that I'm doing right now? Um, sure. Just kind of an example of the polarization of your training and how vastly different your faster paces are versus your easy paces. 
Yeah. So, well, so I take it, I take seriously when it's just like, you're supposed to do this interval at a 5k pace. And, uh, and the other thing about like speed work I'm talking about specifically here is that when it's like rest, like I actually rest in between say intervals instead of like, I, I don't know. It seems to be a thing that, be, especially because of Strava, that people want to keep their like average pace high or something. And I'm like, no, like I would joke around, especially with the track training that like my average pace might be 12 minute miles or something like that. But really interspersed in there was like intervals, like really short intervals that were maybe at like five and a half minute pace or six minute pace, you know, depending on how long they might be. Uh, so I always kind of joked about like, there's a workout in there somewhere, um, you know, uh, but my, my regular paces, I'd say for my long runs are between nine and nine 30. Um, and then if I'm going out and doing like 10 K, you know, 10 K pace intervals, they're going to be around seven 30 pace somewhere around there. Um, and then pushing closer to seven minute pace. If I'm going, that's my, uh, current goal for my 5k pace is to like solidly run at seven minute miles or maybe a little bit faster. <laughs> so yeah, so that's some of the paces that I, that I use, but I really don't get too attached to like that overall like pace average that you get from your watch or that they show you on Strava or what have you, because like, it's okay if you take a break in the middle of a long run to get a snack, walk for two minutes or, you know, um, yeah. So it still counts. It still counts. And also just training is training and racing is racing. And I, you know, people can't get too attached to like, if you can go out and bang out like five, you know, five miles at whatever you think your easy pace is. And then like, Oh, maybe you just have a super slow mile. And like, that's totally fine. And it's going to drop your average pace, but this is not your race day. It doesn't matter. There are no medals no. for training. We say there oh, are no medals for training. And, and that yeah. also goes kind of the, the corollary to that is you may be able to go out and run your, your long, easy run, you know, at a fast pace, but that does not guarantee you on race day, you're going to be able to do that. So all you're doing is yeah. putting extra wear and tear in your body. So we like hearing, you know, that, um, what's your typical marathon finish time? Like, what do you, you know, what did you finish Boston in last year? That's a well, that super good question. Typical. Um, I, or what's your typical, you know, ballpark? Two, two forty-five, two forty-nine, something around there. Or I'm marathon? sorry, three, three forty. <laughs> I was like, wow, sure, you got really fast. I'm really fast these days, guys. Yeah. Right. So like at three forty-five, three fifty, somewhere around there. Right. Um. Yep. So I will say I'm aiming to do about a three forty this year. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. I am. I, I, I cannot emphasize enough. I'm not attached to it, but I feel really good. So I, you know, I'll, I'll go for it. And if it doesn't turn out, then I'll do something else on the day. Like I'll feel out the day and see how it goes. We love that. And like you said, yeah. Boston's an experience. So yes, enjoying it and taking it in, not, you know, you said, you know, in October of 2021, you left feeling like you just didn't have a great experience on the course. And Boston is one that you really, um, you want to, come away with enjoying the experience. So talking about, speaking of Boston, yes. um, you live in Boston, yes. you train in Boston, you run Boston many times. What are your tips that you have? If you have like, like a top, you know, a couple of things that kind of stick out in your head for, especially people coming for the first time, or, um, you know, what are your takeaways from the course that you kind of come to the top of your head? I have to say, this is one of my favorite topics to talk about because I love this race. <laughs> um, 
You know, the very first thing is when you cross the start line, like I'm take a moment to realize I'm in the Boston Marathon. And that is going to be a finite period of time, whether it's the length of time that you want it to be or not, like it's going to be over pretty quickly in the grand scheme of things. And just to realize like I'm in the Boston Marathon is, is just cool. Um, but if you do want to get your fastest time or like you're really, you know, you really do want to go for it. Like the A number one thing that I just have to remind myself is that the beginning part is a lot of downhill. You feel great. You're super excited. Do not go out too fast. <laughs> like, just it's a one place I'll probably be watching my watch the most is because it is so easy to overcook yourself in like the first, whatever, six to 10 miles. Um, so yeah, just enjoy the heck out of that. And, uh, and then of course, Wellesley, I love the scream tunnel. Um, I just get such a kick out of it. I, I will just say for the record, I really hope that they get rid of all the kissing because I think that that has had its day. It's come and gone, but I love all the screaming and I love the support. You can hear them before you see them. And it just gets me super, super excited. Um, the other thing, and this is where I really feel like I, uh, I guess I'll just say it where I failed in October, 2021 is that I really let the hills get to me because, you know, the hills are famous for a reason. They come at a time when you're already getting tired and they're hills, they're hard and you start to slow down and it can just be a real mind, mind game or, you know, it can just really do a number on your mental state because yeah, you're tired and there's a lot of cheering and it's awesome, but they just don't typically feel that awesome <laughs> to go over and it can just feel really disheartening. And so just to remember that that's like, that's how you're supposed to feel. Like they're supposed to feel hard. You're supposed to feel tired. You're going through the Newton Hills. Like it's okay. That is all right. Because you also get to look forward to about six miles of downhill. <laughs> After that, the other, like that last 10 K of the course is a lot of downhill. You get a couple kickers, but you're also getting so much closer to the finish line. So it is just this, and you're getting into the city and the crowds are getting bigger. So there's that to look forward to, which I love. And the very last thing, of course, aside from going down Boylston Street, the very last thing is the Sitco sign. You can see it from a ways back, but you really, really get its full glory at about a mile to go. And I, it all, it could almost bring me to tears right now because it's just like this moment <laughs> and it's a big sign and they've kept it up because it's a landmark and largely because of the marathon. And so, yeah, so that's really exciting. And then of course, like, you know, right on Hereford, left on Boylston, like you just cannot underestimate how totally glorious that is. And yeah, it's awesome. And just, oh boy, I just, the one thing I remind myself is just take it all in. I mean. Yeah, you get your whatever, three, four, five hours out there. Enjoy it. <laughs> Those are some great tips, Sheree. We have no doubt you also, because you live in Boston, have great tips for spectators. So since I'm going to be a spectator this year, what tips, if any, do you have um, in terms of spectating? And for those who are there to um, enjoy some of the marathon festivities, what tips do you have for that? Oh, that's a good question. So for spectating, I like being near the finish. And if you want to be near the finish and you want to be up against the rail, you just have to get there early. So that is my best advice is if that is what makes you happy. And that's what makes me happy. I've done it a few times and, you know, just, uh, 
yeah, get there as early as you can. And, you know, in a few hours before people are going to start coming by, it gets busy, especially if it's a nice day. Like it's very, very busy. Um, so that's always really exciting. And I, you know, a lot of the course I have never driven on marathon day, so I cannot speak to what the traffic's like, but I'm sure getting into the city might be a bit rough. So I cannot help you with that. But along the course, there are tons of places where you can just stand right next to the course and cheer all you want. So maybe if you did have a car and you wanted to go out along the course and then make your way back in, maybe park near a train station and train in might be the best thing to do and then get yourself over by the finish line. And that's super exciting. Um, and marathon weekend, boy, there's just a lot going on. Um, you know, look to the expo program. I know we're going to talk about that in just a second. <laughs> so see what the BAA has planned. That's really exciting. But you know, just about every shoe company has something pop up and they're like, there've been just so many events going on with like podcasts happening. And like, there's a, there are various different stores around, like, you know, we have New Balance in town, we have Converse in town, we have Reebok in town, we have Puma in town. So like so many of these shoe companies will like have a pop-up or something at their business where they have an event and clothing companies too. I mean, yeah, there's, there's just a lot. So I don't know, get your feet on the ground and walk around. I will say that just walking around Boston, the days leading up to the marathon is just exciting. And you see runners and the wheelchair athletes too are cruising around and yeah, it's just a whole, it's like a whole weekend of, of just celebrating running and being on the marathon course. Yeah, it's always hard balancing that um, desire to want to take it all in and walk around and then you get to Sunday night, you're exhausted from and, and resting enough. So, but, um, you know, I, I don't know, my personal advice to anybody, especially who's doing it for the first time is enjoy it, take it in. If you're yeah. a little tired on Monday, you are. Before we get to talking about the expo and what we've got going on there, which is very exciting, anything starting to pop up in Boston yet that tells you the marathon's coming soon? Are the Oh yeah, the banners are up. Yeah, banners are up. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Very so cool. that's, that's kind of it right now. Like we're a few weeks out. So, but I want to say about a week before they start building everything. And so they build the grandstands and, you know, Boylston street where the race finishes is in the middle of a really busy part of the city. So it's very, very prominent. Um, so, so yeah, exciting. that must great. be so neat to start to see things take shape and the banners go up. I feel like that kind of gives you a, especially as we get closer, closer to April. So let's talk about the expo and yeah. what we have going on at the expo this year. Do you want to talk about kind of how this came together and what we've got in the works? Sure. So of course you guys mentioned that we had a live event last year with Megan Christian and Marilyn Bevins. And so we started talking again, like, Hey, should we do a live event? That was so much fun. It was so successful. And so the first thing we thought of is like, hey, maybe let's just reach out to the BAA and see what's going on with them. And, you know, maybe we could be part of their pre-race festivities. And sure enough, they said yes. So we are part of the expo, which is just so exciting. And yeah, we have our event coming up on the Sunday before the, the day before the marathon at 1 p.m. And it's going to be as part of the expo celebration. And we know for sure that we're going to have Marilyn Bevins back um, and Jacqueline Hansen and maybe another special guest. 
And we are focusing on podium pioneers. So women who were early pioneers in the sport of marathoning who have had substantial showings at the Boston Marathon and not the least of which is Marilyn Bevins. You know, she's very famous for being the first African-American, American-born African-American women to break three hours, which she did at Boston. She also PR'd at Boston. So that is another interesting storyline with her and for us to all discuss is like, People talk about Boston being so hard, but, you know, several people have PR'd there. So what does that look like? Um, And of course, Jacqueline Hansen, she was the first American woman to break 240 in the marathon. She has won the Boston Marathon. She is also a legend in the sport. So just excited to talk to some of these early pioneering women who were literally some of the fastest women in the world in their time. Like, it's pretty incredible when you think about just the barriers they broke and the bars they set for all the rest of us that, you know, we could follow in their footsteps and keep pushing the sport forward after they had laid this foundation is pretty incredible. So, yeah, it really is. And we're still looking forward to doing this with you when likewise um, the three of us collaborated last year for the first time, it was really special. And it was really nice to be able to, to bond with Marilyn in particular and Tony Reed, who of course released his documentary after our panel. And we were all surprised when we had a little snippet <laughs> of a spot in his documentary. And we were so thrilled when uh, Tony reached out to Marilyn on our behalf and she agreed to return to be on this panel as well. Um, Sheree, why don't you talk about a little bit about your podcast and 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 why we're collaborating? Because of course, the focus of your podcast is women's running, and just t- tell us a little bit about that and and how you got involved in that. And of course, anyone listening to our podcast knows what we do. While we're not specifically a women's running podcast, we are both, of course, women runners, and we tend to highlight a lot of stories about women. But all three of us are masters women, and it's only appropriate that this year we have the opportunity to, of course, feature um, just some wonderful Masters women legends in the sport. So share a little bit about your podcast and and what it means to you and and what the purpose of it is. Yeah. So I've been a storyteller my whole career. I have been a writer and I had loved radio for a long, long time. And I was always like, when podcasts first started coming out, I'm like, oh, it'd be so cool to have a podcast. Um, But I, I, you know, at the time had no idea what I would make it about. And then, you know, they always say like, write about what you know. And so it's like, oh, well, why don't I just focus on the thing that's right in front of me? (laughs) You know, being a woman who's a runner, I was also really spurred on by the fact that only 4% of mainstream sports media goes to women. That is a statistic that has carried on for over 30 years. It is super depressing. Um, But I just thought, well, then I'm going to lend my voice to this and be part of the change. So that was the reason, that is the reason why I focus on women. Also, because I can speak from experience uh, as a, you know, competitive athlete my whole life as a woman. Um, And I just, I love storytelling. I think stories are really powerful. And so, and I love crafting stories. So that's one of the reasons I took on sort of this more narrative storytelling style in my podcast. And I like to feature women from a variety of different backgrounds. I guess the one thing other than a love of running is that they're all people who do events. I love competition. I love, you know, racing and events and pushing yourself and getting ready for like a big thing as like, for me, I would, 
like, I just don't even know what I would do without an event to train for. Like, I just would not have the motivation. Right. And so I, I tend to vibe with that way of seeing sports and athletics. And, and I just think there's so that sports and racing and being healthy, like there's just so much more to running and being an athlete than just going out and doing a race. And it has to do with, you know, feeling confident in your body and being in touch with your body and the way that we're like addressing a lot of the systemic issues that do not help women. Like there've been such so many great books that have come out too about this, like Lauren Fleshman's new book um, and Kara Goucher's book and Molly Huddle and Sarah Slattery's book. Like they're just, you know, there's, there's so many people who are starting to talk about this now. And I'm just so on board for all of these ways that sports is about so much more than sports. And, and there's also Alison Desir's book, Running While Black is a very important book as well. Cause she is also a woman <laughs> she, you know, like she doesn't just talk about running while black. She talks about running as a woman and just the added uh, issues that you take on as not only a woman, but also a woman of color in the sport, just on and on. There are just so many things to talk about. So I just feel like there's endless uh, material out there. And, and I just, I really, really, really just love highlighting the women's side of the sport. And I feel super lucky because it is so robust right now and growing. And I feel like there's so much momentum and it's only, I guess the other side is it's a bit selfish because like I get so, I legitimately get so inspired by all these women and I learn a lot and I just have learned to see things a lot differently, especially with the aging side of sports. Um, it's really made a big difference in how I've approached my own aging and sort of my role in this world as an aging athlete. Like, I'm like, I think it's really important that I keep racing. I think it's really important that I talk about it. I think it's really important that I share my frustrations and my, the things I've experimented with and what's worked and what hasn't worked. And, and I like being part of the community. Like I like being part of, um, yeah, just this groundswell of changing these systems that I didn't even realize when I was younger, how much they were working against me. And it makes me really sad for myself and women who are older than me other women who are my age. And, and I think that's why you, you guys and I have vibed so well together. Cause we just, you know, like we're all in this to not just for our own selves, but that we want to be part of the change. And, you know, we want to hold up like these women who didn't get the attention they deserved back when they were being the superstars that they were being and being really not only just like not having the support, but being actively not, you know, being pushed against doing what they were doing in so many ways. It's just, it's so incredible when you sit and stop and think about it, which I hope people do when they see things like the panel that we're putting together and, you know, and they listen to the interviews that you guys do and the stories that I tell, like, I just, I think it's time to really reflect on what we've missed out on and what we have to offer. And I think that's the other side. I'll just end with this one point about that I think, I feel like women have so much to bring to sports that we have not been allowed to, or just that haven't been highlighted. And we haven't been allowed to explore because we're trying to fit into something that wasn't created for us. And it almost sounds like a cliche at this point, but it really is so true. 
that we're shoved into this box that was not made for us and we did not make. And we're starting to remake things uh, in ways that fit us better and that we can fit into, like the fact that, you know, we have changing hormones and how do we work around that and how do we make it better for the young girls coming up and young women, you know, going through these changes. I just, there's so much potential and it's so exciting. Um, so yeah, I, I think that covers most of it. Yeah. We share that excitement. I think that that is exactly right. And I think that we all feel that, um, you know, this, and it's evident even through your stories that you tell, there's so many different nuances to everybody who comes to this sport. There are different backgrounds, there's ages, there's different body types, there's different experiences, there's different journeys. Um, but we kind of all share the same, you know, we have something in common, this passion. And and I think we, we felt that when we connected with Marilyn, when we connected with Jacqueline, it's like, even though we're, you know, they had very different experiences or, you know, than, than we have, and that others have Megan Crifton's another example, you know, younger generation, but we all have this passion and this kind of drive to, to see what we can do. And I think that's so evident in your stories that you tell. And I think it's part of why we enjoy um, amplifying the voices of these women who in my, in, you know, what, what I see is that they didn't have the, the uh, resources that we have and the kind of community that we have. We have such a community now of women runners. Like it's, it's, a, it's, we've got that now and they didn't have that. They had, you know, it's, it's really neat to see. And we were talking, um, you know, with Jacqueline about this, how, how women from that era really all know each other and they know of each other. And, you know, it was this very small group. They didn't have beyond that. We have such a, uh, you know, really now a diversity too of, of backgrounds and, and such a large um, percentage. So I think that's, um, you know, really, really remarkable and something why we enjoy, why we all kind of have that bond together. We have that passion for celebrating, for celebrating that. Um, do you, we would never ask you to pick a favorite because we could never pick a favorite guest either, but are there any memorable, you know, stories that you've told that really kind of resonated with you or st- stuck out, you know, stood with you through, through, through all of your, you know, podcasts, through all of the time that you've done it? Yeah. So one that pops up just because I think it, like, I never would have expected to say this is, I I've interviewed Camille Heron a couple of times and she is the ultra distance. She's arguably one of the best ultra distance runners on the planet. She's, she breaks world records. She's absolutely incredible. And I had talked to her about winning the comrades 56 mile marathon in South Africa, which for anybody who doesn't know about that race, it's incredibly tough and very competitive. And she's one of the few Americans that's won it. And then a few years later, she was talking about how, you know, she mentioned almost in passing that she'd gotten her period during the Western States 100 mile race out in California. And long story short, I got to break her story on my podcast. She was just like, oh, like, I love the way you tell stories. And it was a total honor to like talk about her menstruating and I just it was it was so memorable because I just started off saying like well this is a story about Camille Heron's period you know it's just like which I never thought I would ever say something I, I think I'm paraphrasing myself but it was something along those lines like you know Camille Heron's menstrual cycle like which just seems I would have not thought about that I would be saying that you know the two and a half years before when I hadn't even started the podcast But even better than that was there was a race like shortly after that podcast came out and I was talking to like men racers that had listened to the podcast and they were just like so happy to have heard that story. And like, and then I'm talking to these guys about Camille Heron menstruating, you know, just, I'm like, I wouldn't have thought that this would come up, but, but in so many ways that crystallizes like why I like doing what I do. And it doesn't have to all be about menstruation and getting your period, but 
you know, just like, let's just talk about these things. <laughs> like, it's just not, it, it, there's taboo and they don't need to be. And so that was just so refreshing. So that probably stands out as one of, definitely one of the more memorable stories that I've told, but there's so many. Um, and I just, I honestly, I feel, I, I genuinely feel honored for everybody who comes on and tells their story. Like it's, it's not easy. And sometimes women talk about real incredibly difficult things like abuse and domestic abuse and eating disorders and just things that are super, super tough to talk about and all their glory. You know, we love talking about winning races and champions and world records. And that's exciting too, but there's a, there's a big mix. And I just, I don't know, I guess I just always want to say thank you to everyone that (laughs) shares their story. Like, so yeah. That was one of my favorite episodes of yours. I have followed Camille Heron for years. And I think I've talked about her a few times on this podcast because she's always been very open about her fueling. And she was one of the first professional runners who really laid out her fueling plan for marathons. And I remember it was many years ago. I like wrote down word for word what she did because there just was so little information out there. This is probably about it. I think it was almost a decade ago at this point when she did that, but she's a really great follow on Twitter as well. She, she definitely stirs the pot and shares opinions that aren't always popular, which I love. And she's just such a talented runner. And I really enjoyed that episode, Cherie. And to your point, I really love what you said earlier about highlighting things that are really normal, but aren't talked about a lot. So yeah, it's really important to talk about in um, running that women get their periods. It happens. And when it happens, it it's not always a great thing. I know there's a lot of literature out there that it is, but for most of us, it's just a pain in the ass. Yeah. And then, you know, similarly talking about aging, talking about hormonal changes. I mean, we, we of course talk a lot about menopause. Um, so many of our master's women are navigating perimenopause and menopause and what that looks like. And the more that we can create spaces for these conversations and the more normalized it is, guess what's going to happen. There's going to be more runners and professional runners out there talking about it. And maybe in 10 years, you know, we'll see someone lay out their plan, just like Camille Heron did with fueling 10 years ago. So the more open we are, the better, but you briefly mentioned, um, Lauren Fleshman's book and Kara Goucher's yes. book. And um, we've been devouring both of them and they're different books, but they both to me are very similar in that these powerful women with what appeared to be every resource available to them and all of the community available to them that we talked about really didn't have that. It really wasn't right. what it looked like. And I'm, I finished Kara's book. Um, I listened to it on Audible last week. I'm still reeling over it and all the information. And I haven't processed it yet fully. And Lisa's um, uh, reading it now. And together, I'm, I'm eager to talk about it with you, Lisa. And maybe we'll talk about it on here. But I just wanted to get your thoughts, Cherie. I know I'm not sure if you've read the books yet, but even if you haven't, there's so much literature out there. I just wanted to kind of hear your thoughts about what you've learned and and what do you, what do you think? And, and based on all of the experiences you've had, what now can we be doing better? Uh, so I have not, I, I have not fully digested both of those books either. And I'm, I'm about three quarters of the way through uh, Lauren Fleshman's Good, Good for a Girl. Uh, but I have listened to Kara Goucher's book. And, and honestly, one of the reasons why it took me a minute to get to Lauren Fleshman's book, because it came out earlier, is um, I knew it was just going to make me really sad. <laughs> Uh, and that's not to say that Kara Goucher's book doesn't make me horrified. Um, but 
I, I think I just identify a lot more with Lauren Fleshman's frustrations and the things that she's gone through and the things that we kind of, that we know and, and like young girls are still suffering from under eating is just a huge, huge issue. And that we don't let girls develop. And like, that was basically, that is my story, right? Like you expect to be your best coming out of your college years. And that's just not how things work. Um, so like processing sadness is part of the issue and that we just, we need a sea change in how we approach women's athletics. And there was one thing that just like rang so clear from Kara Goucher's book, as she said that I believe it was, uh, it was Salazar who said like, oh, I'm just going to apply a younger, like a junior boys training program to you. And like my coach said the exact same thing. He's like, I'm just going to take a junior boys uh, cycling program and that's what we're going to use for you. And and I I remember at the time, like I even wrote a piece for a really, really small zine at the time about how um, we never look at sports from a woman's perspective. And this was back when I was like 19. (laughs) So it wasn't that I wasn't aware of it. Um, It, it was just like, you're just kind of lost. And, and all your, like so many of my role models were guys. I, I trained with men. I, my coach was a man like, yeah. So I, so how do I think it should change? (laughs) Um, I, I think that Lauren Fleshman's book is like a roadmap for what's been going wrong and with everything that's going wrong is, like it, it can show us how to do it right. And I know she's been a coach. And so I just think looking to her, uh, or, or looking to a lot of what she has to say, um, is, a is going to be a really helpful way. I think like her book to me just makes everything so clear. And I'm, like I said, I'm not even done with it yet with Kara Goucher's book. It, like it's horrifying. That book is absolutely horrifying, but I knew a lot of that story already. I didn't know some of the specifics, but when they came out, it's just sort of like, oh, this sounds like Larry Nassar and all the gymnasts. Like what is wrong with these men? Um, And it's absolutely horrifying. I did not have any experiences like that. So for me, it is just a huge amount of empathy for her and the other, and, and other women, not even just the other women who were part of the Nike project. And I'm not saying he abused other people. Like I'm not going to put yeah, I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is that we know that women are getting abused all the time and whether or not they're getting sexually abused or what, we know that there are bad coaches all over. I mean, Lynn Jennings just came out with a horrifying story about her coaching. And that was a long time ago, but these things are still happening. And, and, you know, and it doesn't have to be as truly horrifying as sexual assault, like just telling girls that they should lose weight or making them do weigh-ins like all this nonsense just has to stop because it is, it, it does not do anything good. And if there's one big takeaway I have from Kara Goucher's book, negative coaching doesn't work or maybe it does work, but it doesn't work as well as other approaches. And I'd love to see that go away. Um, yeah. So yeah, digesting those. And also like Molly Huddle, um, and Sarah Slattery's book is really quite good too. Like talking to all these women about how they got it done, you know, how she did it. Like just a lot of uplifting stories about, um, yeah, how, how women made it happen. So I think we've got a lot of good, uh, we have some good structure to what we could do going forward. And just these very basic things like stop dieting. You know, that's what I'd like to see change. (laughs) Don't tell girls to diet. 
So I think you hit on it before when you said you didn't have any great role models. I think what we need are these role mm-hmm. models. And we're starting to have role models that are setting a new norm. And, you know, maybe that is going to be what leads this sea change is that we have role models um, yeah. that are actually, you know, doing, doing the right thing and focusing on the right things. And um, I think our panel is going to be, you know, we're, we're focusing on some role models that some people may, you know, a lot of women now haven't, or men haven't heard of. Yeah. And they are, yeah. you know, they are, they are excellent role models too. So I, I think that's what we've really enjoyed in, in working together. And in, in, in our panel last year is that, um, you know, uh, amplifying the voices of, of women who, who should be role models and, um, you know, that we can, that we as women and young women coming up can, can look to. Yeah. Yeah. They have a lot of yeah. wisdom, a lot of really great wisdom. Every a time. A lot I of really great wisdom. Talking and to Jacqueline, just... it was nodding our heads. Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Well, and the one, the one last thing I'm going to add about the book situation is, especially with Lauren Fleshman, that she was so conscious of the fact that she was a role model, you know, bringing that up, that she had that consciousness as a, as a college athlete and that she actually knew that if she dieted that like she could probably get faster, but really, really held herself back from that. And she was absolutely so committed to being healthy. And, and I know she's not the only one, but she is the one who wrote a really awesome book. <laughs> and so we can look to her and other women like her who are just like, no, I am going to be healthy and I'm going to show that there's another way. Um, and so going back to our pioneers, like they were showing women that there was another way too, that you could actually go run marathons and run them fast. So yeah, so all these women are just great to, to look to. And yeah, and we do need these role models. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Well, we could talk about this forever. And Cherie, um, we are excited to collaborate with you next month. We're excited to meet up with you in Boston. And we are so excited to do a live podcast with you at the expo at 1 p.m. on Sunday, April 16th. So save the date for those of you that will be in Boston. The three of us will be there with Marilyn and Jackie. And we're just so looking forward to it. And Tari, it was an honor having you on today. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And um, we'll have many meetings between now and Boston, but thank you so much. You're terrific. And we really appreciate all you're doing for the women's running community. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was a, such a joy and I feel honored to be here. So I love your show. I listen to your episodes and I just love all the wisdom that you guys bring out of other people and that you share about your own experiences too. So thank you. I'm really looking forward to seeing you guys. Us too. Before we go, let everyone know where they can find your show. Um, womensrunningstories.com. You can always just look for women's running stories in your podcast app. I will be right there and, uh, yeah, have episodes coming out regularly. So (laughs) fabulous. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryant. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.